each and every day And learning life's lessons through God's love along the way Welcome to Pop Culture Pulpit. I'm Candace Frazier. And I'm Tiffany Nishaban. And we love... Bluey! This week's episode is The Dump, Season 1, Episode 34. Tiffany, you want to give us a rundown? Sure. So in The Dump, Bingo is traveling with her dad and Bluey to The Dump. They're cleaning out some things from their house, and they have just this really lovely conversation where they decide Bandit's like the best dad in the world and the best driver and the best everything, and then they... They kind of, it, it unravels a little bit, and they find out maybe he's not the best dad ever. And he doesn't um, know everything. And he might not know everything. And then it just really clinches it when they figure out that they're throwing away some of Bluey's artwork. And at that point, the girls are like, yeah, no, dad, you're terrible. Um, <laughs> dad and it is turns a around. Dad is a baddie, and it turns around from there, um, and has just a, a really beautiful and redeeming ending, uh, where Bingo and Bluey um, decide that their dad is a goodie after all. Especially because they have a hairy monster attack. Yes, in fact, I think right after this, my kids and I, my kids, we watched this. We watched it right before I, where we came to record, and they're like, "Mama, I think." We need, I think we need to go to the car wash. Oh, so, yeah. Harry Monster yeah. Attacks are the best ever. Yeah. Absolutely. Harry Monster Attacks and Bluey are car washes. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, thanks for that. This is kind of an interesting episode for me uh, on several levels. When we talk today, there might be some things that I say that you would not expect a priest, at least a Christian priest, to say. Maybe you wouldn't expect an Episcopal priest to say them, but... They're going to be a little bit racy in some ways. I know, so buckle up, buddies. This episode was fascinating. You do remember it's a children's cartoon, right? (laughs) Okay. Is it really, though? I mean, I I really think, like, it's kind of for parents to be better parents and not... I kind of think the target audience is the adult. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm excited to hear what these thoughts are. This episode for me really is this place where I wrestle a lot between philosophy and theology. Mm. And so there is this sort of Epicurean sense about this. Who are we? What are we made to be? And, you know, Epicurus did not believe in an afterlife. Right. I mean, he just believed we're here, that we should enjoy life, that the purpose of life was pleasure, not pleasure in the sense of hedonism, but that it was a moderate pleasure. And then that was it. And then we were done. Then there's sort of this religious take in the sense of circle of life, Lion King, you know, we're all created in such a way that we support one another. The the grass becomes the food for the zebra, and then the zebra becomes the food for the lion, right? And then the From lion dust dies. dust we came, and, and to becomes, dust we shall return. Right, and the lion becomes grass again, this great circle of life, that sense of that. There's a sense here, too, like in Ecclesiastes, there is a time for everything. Mm-hmm. There's a time to throw away and a time to be renewed. So there's all of these sorts of ph- philosophical and theological thoughts that, that I wrestle with a lot so in part, there may there's even a touch of incarnation in this episode. Bluey discovers her pictures are about to be tossed into the dump, the smelly dump, right? And and the dad says, no, 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 not the smelly dump. 
I'm tossing them in this part of the dump where they recycle things and the paper will get all mashed up and it will be reborn into new paper for another child to draw a picture on. And so when that dad's, when that child's dad throws away that piece of paper, will it get mashed up to be another child's? Absolutely. So this sense of reincarnation is also like there's a thread of that running through there. And so as I listen or watch this episode, all of that is pouring forth in this metaphor of yeah. taking this child's drawing to the dump. To the dump. <laughs> so it was just incredible for me. And of course, the dump, you know, there's that uh, Gehini in the New Testament, which is a dump right outside of Jerusalem where tires are burning, right? And we get the essence of hell out of all of that. Right. So, so there's, you know, there's that piece of it. And then of course the game bingo is playing the whole time mm-hmm. is rainbow car tag. Yep. Rainbows we know are that symbol, that sign that, that God has given us that, that he will never destroy the earth again, right? This, this creative yep. aspect. So there's like that little thread running through there. And then the whole thing for me gets solidified that this is exactly what this episode is about. I mean, I don't know. I can't put those words into the writer's um, mouths. But if you wrote Bluey and you meant it to be about God, let us know. <laughs> we really want to <laughs> we know. We would love to talk to you about this. We would so love to talk to you about this. It's it's all down to the question. And the question is asked twice. They're in the car and Bluey yeah. has said, Dad, do you know everything? And Bandit's like, yeah, of course yeah, I know first, everything. The first time. Uh, yeah, the first time. And Bluey then immediately asks, well, where did I come from? <laughs> <laughs> Bandit's like, next question. <laughs> like, I'm not even going to answer that one. And then when Bluey and Bingo are questioning that Bandit knows everything, and they tell Bandit, you don't know everything. And Bandit sort of has now kind of agreed with that, let that go, his need to know everything. Again, Bluey asks, where did I come from? And Bandit's answer then is, you know, buddy, that's something you got to figure out on your own. Yep. I don't know the answer. None of us knows the answer. Right. And we all figure out our own answers. Right. So then that wrestling of philosophy and religion and and Mm -hmm. all of those things gets tied up into who are we as faith-bound people? Yeah. We are all wrestling with those questions of creation, of existence, of where did we come from before we were born. We see this in popular culture. There are those movies. What was that great movie? Soul. Soul. Oh, yes. Such a fantastic movie. Another Disney movie. Back in the 80s, there was this movie of this apocalyptic movie where the guff was running out of souls. I didn't even know there was such a thing as the guff, but apparently there's this traditional understanding that God only created so many souls. And when the guff, which is the place that holds the souls roll, runs out of souls, then the apocalypse will happen. Oh Lord. I know. (laughs) Did we just get a little deep? Somebody call the recycle bin. (laughs) And then of course there is a significant uh, understanding of reincarnation in some faith traditions, yes. especially Buddhism, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and there are, not every Christian sect denounces reincarnation either, but Buddhism absolutely believes in reincarnation and you continue to be reincarnated into a higher being, right? Like that's the way you achieve nirvana. Certainly this episode is so much more than taking the trash out. I mean, it is wrestling with some some stuff. Yeah. So, Tiffany, here's the question. What? Have your children ever asked you where they came from? 
Yes, but I gave them the very sciencey answer of, well, mommies have these and daddies have these and, and then a baby grows inside my belly and you came out from there. And, and that seemed to satisfy them for now, but they are only eight and four. So that where did that existential question of where did I come from? I think they will catch on to that later and I'll, I'll deal with it then. You'll show them this episode of Bluey. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Figure it out for yourself. Figure it out. I think that even as we get older, we stop wanting to swim in the pool of mystery around where yeah. we come from. Yeah. So I think the older we get, the more like we feel like we need to have answers. I think the older we get, the more we feel like we need to answer children's questions with answers instead of with wonder or with mystery. Uh, and we need to learn to embrace the wonder and mystery in a way that kids don't think of God's kingdom as something that is only this way or that way, or only negative or positive. It's black or it's white. It's this or it's that. But that there's there's some fluidity there. There's there's it's complicated, and to assume that. I would, I would love for the answers to be easy. I would love for there to be a Bible verse that says, this is where you were before you were born. That would be great. But there's not a Bible verse that says that. Well, there's kind of, but not but really. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's a wonder. Yes. Like the Bible verses that say that are yeah. about wonder. They're not about science. Well, and that's the, that's the thing. Like wonder engages our minds in a way that facts cannot. And in facts, I don't feel like we can really like grow as faithful people. In facts, we can make good decisions about ourselves, about our communities, about our bodies, but that's not the, the factual things of life are not necessarily the things that grow the edges of our souls. And I think that's the thing, right? So your answer to your children was science-based. It was. <laughs> and that's, that, I completely understand that. And one of the things that I often wonder is how much damage has the scientific revolution really done to our ability to embrace God on God's terms? Mm. I am not against the scientific revolution at all. I, right. I, I embrace science. And I do believe that there is a way for science and faith to coexist Absolutely. and even to knit themselves together in such a way that we have fullness, a more a broadness maybe to who we are, not simply as humans in our person, but as humans created by God in our nature. Yes. And when we stop or resist opening ourselves up to that wonder, allowing ourselves to say, you know, I don't know. You're going to have to figure that out on yourself. Like instead, we when we try to be bandit who is the best dad ever and knows everything, because we, we're tempted to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Like not only are we limiting the creativity of our children, we're limiting our own expansiveness. Right. We're shutting ourselves down. We can't accept a life in which we don't know the answers. There is so much in that. And I think that that is a big... Um, you know, talking about the, the whole coexistence of, of science and faith, if we believe that God is 
the creator of the world and all the things in it, then God is the creator of the science, right? God is the creator of the structures that govern the universe, of the mathematic equations that balance out as they do. Like all of those things are how God made the world. And I think it's very difficult for us to see that sometimes that God did create all the science and the facts and the natural order of things like that's that didn't just come out of nowhere and it's baffling to think about god not just creating the trees and the firmament <laughs> but god created calculus <laughs> wow <laughs> and there's a process a lot of times to how we can understand creation right so god creates in process and right. that i think can be a little daunting for us to accept because the christian culture at least in the south is very focused on boom and it was done Yes. And that it, that it can't change. Right. God is unchangeable. He is unchanging, right? Mm -hmm. That there's this one and done sort of thinking about God. And you and I have talked about this before, that that, that limits God's ability to be expansive. And, mm -hmm. and so it's not fair for us to limit God. And it certainly does not help our faith to grow when we limit God, put God in a box and put him in our pocket, just carry him around with us. But that sense then of how do we, as parents or just as human beings, begin to learn a way in which we find it okay not to know everything and to allow mystery to exist. And this is hard because it's very countercultural, right? Yeah. It, it goes very much against... Uh, what our, our scientific awareness would, would say to us that here are the formulas, here are the processes in which things happen. So, of course, you can understand this when you get to the other end. But there are some things that we really cannot use science, at least yet, to determine. Right. So how do we allow my favorite three words, it's a mystery, to be comforting and not simply to be a crutch? I think, first of all, we have to understand mystery as not a scary, like we all watched Unsolved Mysteries when we were kids. And then like we had to like sleep with the closet light on or with the door cracked or, you know, with your flashlight in the bed with you. Unsolved and Mysteries. Would, or at least I would jump from the middle of the room and land on the bed because I just wasn't sure who would be underneath What it, was underneath it, right? Yes. And so I feel like been the way that we use the word mystery History is not always with a positive connotation. And one of the things that I've tried to do with my kids is when I say things like, well, it's a mystery, is that it's not something scary, but something to just think about or to wonder about. It's something that doesn't have an answer, but that's okay. And a mystery is not, you know, we've been kind of conditioned to think that mysteries are scary, but that's not the truth. Mysteries are not scary. Mysteries sometimes are just that. They just are what they are. Yeah, I do. I think there's some comfort in that. And challenging, though, to get to that place of being comfortable with mystery, in part because it is the unknown. Mm -hmm. It's difficult then to embrace the unknown. It doesn't have form or shape. So how do you wrap your mind around it? How can you really involve yourself in it, immerse into it? And, and I think that's, but that's part of it 
if you can immerse into it, if the unknown can be this pool of water that you can just allow yourself to immerse into and, and float in, that can be a comfortable way. But we also know that water can be incredibly chaotic and dangerous. And for whatever reason, we are so fear-driven in life that when we begin to try and embrace mystery, all of that fear and anxiety get bubbles up to the surface. I read a book by Rob Bell long, 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 long time ago. It was his book called Sex God. And he kind of you know gave it that provocative title, but it, it, there was one chapter in it that talked about how we are created neither as angels, but nor are we animals. So we have this very fear-based animalistic instinct that's in us. But we also have been gifted with the presence and awareness to choose something different. It's much harder for, for when my, when my mother's dog hears the doorbell, she must bark. She must bark. It, there's nothing we can do to stop it. It is not going to end no matter what. Like they even got her one of those little collar thingies that like gives her a little zap and she still barked. Like it didn't work. She's just going to bark. That's just how she is. She cannot undo that instinct. But that we, that that humanity, that that part, that that gift of God's image in us has something to do with being able to say, yes, I am fearful of this. And at the same time, I'm going to approach it or I'm going to consider it or I'm going to think on it. And I, I, I really enjoyed kind of that idea of that's our gift from God is that, yes, we are essentially some kind of animal. We have skin and organs and blood and brains and hair. We're mammals. But that what we do with fear and what we do with instinct, we have a little bit more control over. Yeah, I like that. I really do like that a lot. And as I think about that, that we're somewhere in between animal and angel. I mean, we have a divine spark. Mm -hmm. We're made, we're created in God's image. Mm -hmm. And yet we are created as all the other animals mm -hmm. are. So there's something about that. I, I do like that. And I wonder, you know, as we, as we think about how we have choice, we don't have to just respond to the world instinctually. We can make decisions about fear or anxiety, embrace the unknowing in ways that can bring comfort or embrace it in ways that can create fear. Right. And we've seen a lot of that. So much fear. And I think that there are things in the church that we have lessened in their meaning and their, their spiritual nurturance and sustenance of us because we have decided that we need to embrace those through some sort of knowledge or understanding that we cannot have. So specifically, I'm thinking about the Eucharist. I have a lot of parents who will tell me that they don't want their child to receive Eucharist because they won't understand it. And my follow-up question is always, do you understand Do you it? understand this? Because <laughs> I have no idea what we're doing. Like, you may think I do because I'm standing up in front of you with my arms raised in the Oran's position making and these I'm prayers. And I'm saying the words. But I'm just saying the words that you're reading in the prayer book. I have no idea how Jesus is dealing in this bread. with this bread and this wine. Like that, that completely baffles me. All I can do is trust that something is happening. Right. And that tr I'm going to trust in that. I mean, that, that is the, the basis of my faith as an Episcopalian, the expression of my faith as an Episcopalian. 
I'm going to trust that Jesus is doing something with that bread and that wine and that my reception of it every week is strengthening me and giving me the encouragement and the courage to go out into the world and do the things that God is asking me to do in this world. But I'm pretty sure the fuel in that food is only lasting me about a week because I got to come back the next (laughs) Sunday and do it all over again to be strengthened and encouraged once more. But I have no idea what that is. And science cannot prove that. Science cannot take, they could not open up my belly and look at the bread and the wine that I consumed at the altar and say, okay, well, this is ha- this is where the God Adam is, and this is where the wheat Adam is, and this is where the grape Adam is. Now they could tell and when you it the passes wheat and the this grape. certain level of your esophagus, then it becomes Jesus, right. and then when you when you when it goes through your small intestines, then it is actual blood. But it's, yeah, no, I I don't know if I really get it, but okay, we're the paid professionals, and we don't even know what's going on. But again. Because that parent believes that they understand what they're doing, that adult, not even a parent, but an adult who approaches the Eucharist and says, oh, I know what this is all about. You've so limited yourself. Exactly. And you have reduced the sacrament then to only what you can understand. One of my, not to get super music nerdy here for a minute, but... Oh, do, because this episode has got a great soundtrack under it. I'm also a super music nerd and have degrees in music and I'm getting another degree in music. And when I was in my undergrad, we all had to write papers on some 20th century piece of music and classical music in the 20th century gets like crazy weird. And there was a French composer named Messiaen, and he wrote pieces for piano that the translations are 20 images or 20 contemplations of the infant Jesus. And one of my favorite in that piece of music that uh, taking communion is like holding the infant Jesus in your arms. Ugh. And Shane and I had some really difficult days in trying to become parents. And like that image of Eucharist sustained me in a way through that time. And to have such a, I know what this is and it's only this and it can only ever be this image of communion of anything in church really limits the ways that God can just reach out and bless the socks right off of us. Absolutely. So I will say, I am not a great student of systematic theology. I'm sure my seminary professors were so glad when I was well, no longer I'm not in even sure what systematic theology means. So <laughs> well, mostly it is about establishing argument. Okay. So, so it's has it's sort of like the philosophy of theology, okay. right? But you give me an icon of the ascension, and I can tell you all the theology in the world that is coming out of that icon. Not because I can prove it, but because that icon is inviting me into the mystery of all the things that it speaks to me. And the longer that I look at that icon, the more and more it opens up to me about who God is in relationship with me and who I am in relationship with God and who the church is in relationship with me and who the church is in relationship with God. And I could look at an icon of anything 
for years. And that icon will continually offer me something new. Some It will invite me into some new way of understanding God. Never will it be complete. There will always be mystery involved in it. And I think that's one difficulty for Christianity in the Bible. The Bible is canonized. It is completed. It is, this is what's in there. No more. We're not going to add that, that, that extra gospel or, you know, the, what is it? The synoptic gospels and, you know, yeah, yeah. We are going to have this. We aren't going to have that. This is it. But to ignore the fact that God has spoken to us throughout history, I think is, is really hard. And icons, I think, are one of those ways. And, and even today in music, in art, in bluey, in, in literature, there are ways that God blessed us with the ability to create these things. It's another thing that makes us different. Not an angel, but not an animal, but that we have this innate creativity to make music, to, to dance, to, write beautiful things, to sculpt, to paint, and that in doing all of those things, we are connecting with that part of ourself that is the God's self, right? Like that is the part that the creator has instilled in us some of the need to create. And that's where there's so much we can find of God in those things. You've said music several times here, and I want to tag in because this episode, we've talked before, I think, a little bit about how music and Bluey Mm -hmm. intersect too. And I don't know if you were paying attention to the music in this episode, but they're in the car, they leave the house, Bandit has told Bluey that he knows everything, and as they drive along and they're getting sort of closer to the dump, further from the house, it becomes questionable that Bandit really does know everything, <laughs> or that he is the best driver ever, right? or that he's the best dad ever, because suddenly, mm. you know, he honks at somebody and says, they're a bad driver. And so Bluey says, does that mean you're, are you a good driver? I'm the best driver ever. And then there's something else that happens and he's the best dad ever. Then Bingo is talking about how the little gnome goes up and paints the light green or paints the light red. And Bandit and Bluey are pretty much ignoring Bingo at this point. Or Bandit wouldn't have been honked at. Or Bandit would not have been honked at, exactly. So they get to a red light, and they're talking about how, whether they're a goodie or a baddie, and Bandit says, oh, I'm a goodie. And Bluey says, well, am I a goodie? And Bandit says, I don't know. Do you do you ever do bad things? Well, sometimes I ignore Bingo, who is trying to tell them that the <laughs> light has changed. They're both ignoring Bingo, right? It's wonderful. Not that yeah. they're ignoring Bingo, but the subtlety of the message. Right, that of right. course, you're not the best dad ever. You're ignoring your other child. You haven't had any relationship with the other child at all through all of this. Well, in all of that movement, as Bandit has made these claims and they're starting to unravel, the music that underlies becomes more and more chaotic. It's faster and faster and chaotic and chaotic and brighter and brighter. And then they turn into the dump and it changes. And one of the fascinating aspects of the series to me is how intertwined, like how intentional what you see happening what you hear sort of underlies that and helps mm-hmm. to move that message forward. So we have this moment in which Bandit is trying to hold on to being the best ever, 
having the omniscience, right? And the omnipotence. He is trying to be the God figure in the car. And the more he tries to hold on to that, the more chaotic that is. Yeah. And as soon as he releases it, that music settles down. And there is a sense then that when we can release our need to know everything, to be the God here on earth, and we allow the mystery to enter in, it does become more soothing. Yeah. It does become more peaceful. It does yeah. become a more comfortable place to be. I feel very reassured by Bandit's parenting here. <laughs> because <laughs> how many times a week do I go, oh my gosh, I'm such a terrible mom. Oh my gosh. I mean, the, the inner monologue for a lot of parents these days is, I am not crushing this. Like, this is not, I must not be doing this right. And none of us are doing it right. You know, it is the ongoing process of creation. Thanks, Bandit, for uh, letting us live in a little bit of mystery there. And maybe by the end of the episode, the girls think he's the best dad ever. Oh, yeah. They circle back. But I mean, kids are a pendulum. You know, one day you're the best mom ever. And one day you're the best dad ever. And then the next week they're like, you're the worst mom in the world. Or in the morning, you're the best mom ever. And then five minutes later, you're the worst mom ever because you tried to make them eat some breakfast thing they didn't want. Right. I mean, like, it's not even day to day. It's like minute to minute. Right. Yep. But that's the take home. As a parent, even as, as an adult period, watching this episode and being able to embrace that, that you that your ability to know everything or to be the best is not the way that you're going to be defined as a good parent. We are all struggling. We are all trying to figure it out. We are all doing the best we can do. And the most incredible thing is instead of embracing the need to know all, embracing the opportunity you get to be as a co-creator with God right. in this little person. And even more than parenting, it's bigger than that. Like it is, it's bigger than parents. Yes, of course, you are part of our target audience, but in how human beings interact with one another on a daily day, day-to-day basis, Absolutely. not just, you know, how we interact with children, but how we yelled at that other driver or how we were frustrated with our partner or how we were terse with the cashier at the store. Or or... just the fact that we feel like somehow our power is connected to our knowledge. That's, that's a hard thing. This has been a great conversation. I hope yeah. that I hope it was a better episode than you thought it might be. Well, out. I also had it like I had this other like huge thought because you you mentioned the dump outside where they burned the trash outside of Jerusalem, and I was like, okay, so if I rewatch this episode and think about this as being like Bingo Bluey and Bandit take a trip to hell, <laughs> <laughs> how can I reframe this episode? I'm going to go home and watch it again. <laughs> Ooh, okay, well. Maybe we'll have to come back and revisit that episode. Or confront it. You know, confront it. And, and, you know. (laughs) All right, Tiffany, what's next week? Next week, we are going to talk about Burger Shop. Burger Shop. Burger Shop. And just just as a a funny story, I did uh, that day you came by my office and you were like, William was kind of acting nuts. And you said, I think you need a new parenting book. I was like, 
what the heck is she talking about? Oh my gosh. <laughs> but it was from this episode of Bluey. Yep. It was from, because they, they there's a parenting book involved. So if today's conversation has not helped you feel like a better parent, then certainly Burger Shop will because we're going to talk about parenting books. <laughs> not really. There's some nice ones out there, I, I guess. I'm sure there are. I've read it. I've read more, more, maybe just one. All right. Well, thank y'all for being with us today. It was great. And Tiffany, we love Bluey. See you next time. The joy of play each and every day and learning life's lessons through God's love along the way.